Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31 today. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31. We are going to be in this passage, actually, for the next several weeks, uh, John 31 through 38, because Jesus says a lot there. As a matter of fact, today, if we get through with verse 31, I'll be pleased, all right? I'll feel like I've succeeded in getting to that point, but we'll see. Because there's so much here that we need to understand, so much truth for, for people who would hear what our Lord had to say. Now, I want you to realize when I read this in a moment that Jesus is talking about, or, or he's talking to people who have just been talked about by John in verse 30. In verse 30, John said, and as he spoke these things, many came to believe in him. Now, it's, it's absolutely imperative that you understand what we're about to look at in light of that. Jesus is in the temple. He has been teaching and speaking and, and lecturing, if you will, preaching during the, uh, the Feast of the Tabernacles. We've talked about that for weeks now. He, he's been speaking there as they have celebrated God's provision and God's care for the children of Israel as they came out of Egypt on their way to the promised land, wandered 40 years, and for that 40 years, God protected them. God provided for them. God watched over them in the wilderness. And so every year, the the Jews would come to the temple, and they would celebrate at this time that provision of God in the wilderness. And that's what they've been doing. And during this time, Jesus has taken advantage as they've taken water out of the pool of Siloam and poured it into a place in the temple. He's taken the the advantage of saying... You know, that water was good water in the wilderness, but I am the living water. If you drink of me, you'll never thirst again. You'll say that again later in this book. Uh, he, he took another time, in the time we're kind of most close to right now, as they lit the torches around the courtyard to, to symbolize the light of the pillar of fire that led the children of Israel at night and the pillar of cloud during the day to symbolize that and to think about that. They lit those torches, and Jesus says to them, but I am the true light. I am the light of the world. And the one who follows after me will never walk in darkness. And so all of these people have been listening, and they've been hearing him, and and with authority he has spoken. And, And John says, as he spoke these things about being the light of the world, particularly, many came to believe in him. So Jesus, starting verse 31, wants to make clear to those who have said they believe in him what it means to believe in him. It's not just a matter of of saying, oh, I believe that man is standing over there. It's not just a matter of saying, oh, I believe he's a good teacher. I uh, I believe he's the son of God even. It's not just that. Jesus says there's something very important that you must understand about being a disciple of mine. And so this is what he says. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and we have never yet been enslaved to anyone. What are all these Roman soldiers doing around here? Why are all these Romans watching you and dictating what you do? Why is it that later when they want to crucify Jesus, they can't just go out and do it? They've got to get the Roman government's permission to do it. They are slaves to Rome. They are enslaved by They are captivated by Rome. 
That's why they were looking for a Messiah who would come in and, and drive the Romans out. They weren't looking for a Messiah to die in their place as their substitute for their sins. They were looking for a Messiah who would come in and, and set them free again from Roman oversight and, and overbearingness. But yet they say, we're Abraham's seed. We're children of Abraham. We're his descendants. We've never been slaves of anybody. Maybe they should have read their history. And yet you say you will become free. Verse 34. And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, verily, verily, listen to me. I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, yet you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak the things which I have seen with my father. Therefore, you also do the things which you have heard from your father. I just want to warn you, in a couple of weeks, it's going to get nasty. It really is there in the temple. When he looks at them and says, I do what my father tells me, I hear my father and you listen to your father too. And he's not talking about Abraham. Well, we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. I want you to look at verse 31 particularly this morning. Because out of verse 31, there, there arises several questions that need to be asked, that beg to be asked this morning as we think about this simple statement. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. Jesus is looking at this multitude, many other Jewish leaders who did not believe, who still do not believe and will not believe to the very end, it will seem. But, but he's looking at these people, and he's saying, there are, there are different people out here before me. Now, it would be easy for us to say, yes, there are different people. There are those who do not believe, the Jewish leaders, and there are those who believe, those who said, we now believe in him because of the things that he spoke. But I think as Jesus looks at them, he's, he's seeing not two categories, those who believe and those who don't believe, but he's seeing three categories, those who don't believe, those who truly believe, and those who have a sort of a false faith, who don't truly, honestly believe that he is who he said he was. Sort of a phony faith, sort of a pseudo-faith, sort of a, a, a shallow faith that says, well, we can believe some of the things he's saying, but yet when it comes right down to it, how do you know when somebody really is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus wants us to understand that today. He wants to understand who are truly his disciples. And, and so I think there are five questions that I want to ask and answer, hopefully this morning, as we come to this verse. And, and I want you to hear these because I think they're important. The first question is, what does Jesus mean when he says tr to truly be his disciples? What does it mean to truly be his disciples? Surely we say that all it takes is faith. We believe as, as Baptists and as good biblical Christians that a person is saved by, by grace through faith and faith alone in Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of works. 
It's not a matter of taking, saying, I believe in Jesus and I'll do all these good things, or I believe in Jesus and I'll follow these religious rituals like the, the Judaizers did in Paul's day and in John's day, who said, well, listen, we've got to keep the law, and if you keep the law and you believe in Jesus, everything will be all right. We certainly don't believe that. And evidently, some of those who were in this crowd were those who were saying, well, we believe he's somebody important, and, and we want to believe he's something special, but, but we want to continue to abide in the law. There are those who are really not real disciples. They are just kind of hanger-ons. They're kind of those who are following the crowd. You ever know anybody like that? It's real easy to say, I believe in Jesus when we're in here. It's real easy to say, oh, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ when everybody around us is saying the same thing. That's why with children, we always go extra carefully. That's why with with Ashlyn we, 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 and with others her age, we, we talk about it very carefully. We lead them through Bible studies. We lead them through discipleship we, and, and using their parents to do that primarily, but we give them materials to do because we really want them to understand. Because a lot of times, if a child makes professional faith, you will see then a, a, a parade, if you will, of others making professional faith because that's the thing to do. I did that when I was 12 years old. I, all my friends were being, you know, making professions of faith, and I said, oh, man, i got to do this. And so I went forward, and I made a profession of faith, and I was baptized, and I was about as saved as this glass is. I didn't understand what it meant to be in Christ. I didn't understand what it meant to be a real disciple of His. And it took me from age 12 to about age almost 19 before God really grabbed my heart and, and brought conviction of sin and, and, and showed me who He was as Lord and Savior, Lord and Savior. And I submitted to him. So we're very careful. And, and in the temple here, there are no doubt a lot of people who are seeing these people believe in their father. They say, well, let's, let's go along with the crowd. Let's, let's see what they're talking about. Let's see what they're doing. And so Jesus wants to be sure that he differentiates between somebody who just says, oh, I believe by raising a hand or even walking an aisle and someone who truly has faith in Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus is not interested in mass decisions here. He's not interested in, in tricking people into believing or following. He knows it's a, it's a work of His Holy Spirit that brings about true conversion. And so, so this is what's taking place in, in these people's lives there. And Jesus says, I want you to understand what it means to truly be my disciple. And this is what he says. You, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Uh, uh, he, he's not saying a true disciple is sort of a second level of being a Christian. Now, there's some who teach that. There's some who say, well, you're an unbeliever, then you're a believer, then you're a disciple, then you're a disciple maker. That, that's not what Jesus is talking about here. When he talks about true disciple here, he's talking about one who truly follows him, one who is saved, one who has a relationship with him. And that's important that we see that. He's not talking about a later level of discipleship. If you, you're, you're truly my disciple, if you abide in, in my word, if you continue in my word. That's how you prove to be my disciple. Well, maybe we need to define a few of those uh, by questions, and then we'll come back and close out with that understanding as we get to the end. The second question is, what is Jesus referring to when he says, my word? It's significant here that he doesn't say, if you continue in my words. Now, they've been listening to his words for, for days now. They're in the 
temple. They've been listening to things he says, and it even says, as he spoke these things, some came to believe. And Jesus says, if, you wanna, if you're truly my disciple, you will continue in my word. Not in my words, but in my word. Singular. That's important. Because what Jesus is saying here is, if you're truly my disciple, you will continue in, in the sum, the totality of everything I've taught. It won't just be saying, oh, I, I, I want to believe so I can have my sins forgiven. That's a, that's a very real part of the words of Jesus. That's a real important part of the whole salvation experience. But as we talked about in our systematic theology study on this past Wednesday night, at the cross there is an exchange that takes place. And it's not just that my sins are placed there and now I am forgiven of my sins. You understand, that's not enough. But there's a second transaction. There's an exchange that takes place there. He takes our sins and he gives us, he imputes to us, he declares us to be righteous. That's a a glorious exchange. And so when Jesus says here, you must continue in my word, he's saying, I'm I'm not just talking about seeking forgiveness of sins. There's no doubt a lot of those in the temple that were listening to him brought these sacrifices every time the the temple doors were open, so to speak, for sacrifices to be offered. And, and they thought, well, I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing what God has commanded. And then he comes along and says, well, I can give you forgiveness of sins, and you won't even have to do that every, every year or every other month or whatever, every time the doors are open for sacrifice. You want to do that. Say, oh, man, that's a, that's a great deal. Get my sins forgiven. Don't have to offer these sacrifices because some of these sacrifices are costly. They're my, my, my best lamb or my best whatever. I, I'd love to do that. He says, no, if if you're my disciple, you continue in my word. It's the sum of what he's teaching. It's it's that all of his words and and his word, in one way or another, draw attention back to him. John said in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word there is Jesus. And when Jesus says, if you continue in my word, not my words, but my word, he's talking about everything that points to him, every truth of the scripture that points to the reality of him, everything about him that we see that he has taught. And and we're seeing a lot of that in John. I am the bread of life. If you eat of me, you'll never hunger again. I am the living water. If you drink of me, you'll never thirst. I am the light. If you walk in me, you'll never follow in darkness. I mean, on and on and on. Uh, John has shown us this, this great picture of who Jesus is. And, and Jesus is saying, this is a part of what it means to b- abide in my word. This is a part of what it means to, uh, to, to continue in my word. That's why when you get to chapter 15, and he starts talking about the branch and the vine. And he said, I'm the true vine, and you're the branches. And if, if you abide in me like a branch abides in a vine, it is if you're, if you're dependent upon me, if you're totally uh, absorbed in me, if you're, if you're totally attached to me, if you are abiding and continuing as a branch, drawing your truth, drawing your nourishment, drawing your strength from the vine, if you're drawing all that from me, then you really are my disciple. But if you're not, you'll be like one of those branches that's cut off and thrown in the fire. You never were really a part. You were just kind of hanging on. So the answer to the second question is simply the phrase, my word, 
if you abide in my word, if you continue in my word, refers to the sum of Jesus' teaching as it always points back to himself as the crucified and risen Son of God. The crucified and the risen Lord. If you abide in me, if you abide in my word, you're really my disciples. My word is my total teaching and everything that points back to me. But what does it mean to be in that word? If you abide in my word. What in the world does that mean? Well, we tend to know what the word in means. You know, a little bit, a little bit ago, Ashlyn and I were in the baptistry. We walked into the baptistry and we were there. You go into a room. It just means to be located within that sphere. And what Jesus is saying here is if you're going to be my disciple and really my disciple and demonstrate that you are my disciple, then you will be in my word. I love what John Piper calls it. I heard him at Beeson Divinity School one time speaking on preaching, and he said he used this text, and he said to be in his word, the word of God for the believer is sort of like a force field that just engulfs us and captivates us, and that we abide in, and we walk in, and we really never leave out of. There's a lot of things about that. First of all, we, we come to understand this, this truth, this word of his as being truth, the truth of his word. Now, we talk a lot about truth around here. It's an important concept that our culture is losing every day. This idea of, of truth, absolute truth, total truth. But, but Jesus is saying here, I want you to understand, my word is what you abide in. And he will say in John 17, I don't want to give away my sermons next year, but he'll say in John 17, uh, you know, you finally got it. My word is truth. You know, sanctify them according to your word. Your word is truth. I mean, the, the, the whole concept of truth is, is totally wrapped up in this idea of his word. We live in a world that says, oh, truth. What does that mean? It's, it, it's a matter of, of relativity. It's a matter of, of just everything is relative. Your truth's your truth. My truth's my truth. There is no absolute truth. That doesn't work practically. It doesn't work in, in the real world, but that's what we have people wanting to say. My friend Ron Nash, Dr. Ron Nash, who was a professor at Southern and at Reformed Theological in Orlando, Florida, used to speak to, to Summit Ministries every summer in, in Colorado and in Tennessee and and he would always talk about, he was a philosopher, and he would always talk about relative, something that, that our culture wants to talk about, everything being relative. And he would always give this little, what I, he called his relative dance. He'd say, you know, our culture says, everything is relative. And everybody would laugh, but it always caught their attention. We live in a world that says there is no such thing as truth, but a disciple of Jesus Christ, a true disciple of Jesus Christ, says, no, we understand the truth of his word. When he has spoken, it is truth. You are persuaded of the truth of the word. Another dimension of his, of his word is you're, you're persuaded of the beauty of his word. And I'm not talking about beauty here as a flower or something we see, but, but just the, the beauty that's seen in being in him, the protection that comes here. There's a moral and there's a spiritual beauty, not, not style or not appearance, but a, there's a moral and a spiritual beauty in his word cleanses us. You know, there are a lot of times we, we sit around, we say, oh, I'm a disciple of Jesus. You know, we walk out those doors, 
And, and much of what we do is, is so contrary to what God's truth says, to what Jesus' truth word, Jesus' word says. Go out there and we're dishonest in our business. Go out there and we break our marriage vows. We go out there and we, we act as though we're king and we rule the world. And, and we say, well, I believe in Jesus. And then we live that way and people say, well, who is Jesus? Who is he? But there's a beauty about his truth that, that captivates our lives and transcends our lives. And there's a value to his word that we need to see, a real supreme value of being in the word and being captured by the word and being captivated by the word to the point that we treasure that word. The, the, the psalmist said, you know, Lord, your word have I hid in my heart. And the word hid there is, is better translated, have I treasured in my heart. Your word have I treasured in my heart. Why? That I may not sin against you. We wonder sometimes why we just can't break sin. We'll never live perfectly. We know that. Scripture's clear about that. But we wonder sometimes why we're walking around and there's this sin that is an abiding sin. It continues in our life. We, we, we confess it. We repent of it. We say, I'm done with that. And then we find ourselves right back in it. And, and we wonder, why is that the case? Well, it may be that we're not treasuring His Word. We're not abiding in His Word to the point that we treasure it completely. That is the most valuable thing in our life. David in Psalm 19 said, you know, your word is sweeter than the honeycomb. It's, it's more valuable than the most purest gold. It's, it, it, your word is, is to captivate us and to change us completely as we treasure it. Another part of being in the word is to know the power and the grace of that word. The word of Jesus that we are to abide in has a power to change our life and a grace to change our life. It makes us different. And, and, and to be in his word, it doesn't mean that we never, we, we never put our Bible down. It doesn't mean we call in and say, I can't come to work today because I've got to be in the word. It doesn't mean that we never cook dinner at home because, hey, I'd love to cook, but i, I got to be in the Word. It's not what it means at all. I mean, we ought to be in it that way more than we are. You know, that's just a fact. We ought to be in the Word, studying the Word, digesting the Word, eating the Word, feasting on the Word, a whole lot more than we probably are. But, but the truth of the matter is, it's being in Christ's Word, abiding in His Word, doesn't mean that we just never put our Bible down. For some of us, that's not a problem. We put it down too much. But it does mean that that word that we, we study and we, we look at and we meditate on and we, we pray over and we, we use it to study, that it does become in us. It becomes a part of us. It's life-giving. It's, it's the bread of life. It's, it's the living water. It, it, his word is the light that guides our path. Again, the psalmist said, you know, your, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. His word, as it abides in us. So when Jesus says, if you abide in my word, being in his word means being persuaded of its truth, being attracted to its beauty, being 
treasuring its value, uh, knowing the peacefulness of its grace and power in your life, being nourished as bread, being refreshed as living water, and seeing the brightness of light as it shines into our life and brings conviction, but also brings cleansing and changing to be in His Word. And, and to abide in it just simply means to remain, to remain in His Word, to remain in it every day, to desire for it to Set our course. Whether you're at work or in your home or you're at recreation, doesn't matter. To abide in His Word is to say, Lord, I want, I, want to, I want to be in Your Word. I want to know Your Word. I want to prove to be Your true disciple because I want Your Word to guide our path. I, I, want, to be, I, want, to be, I want to be persuaded of the truth of it. And, and Lord, I don't want any, anything else to ever be elevated above it. Some of you elevate what Dr. Phil says above what Jesus says in his word. Or what Oprah says above what Jesus says in his word. Don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know, we get all these other authorities that are pseudo-authorities, false authorities. We say, oh, but you know, this is what's... All. And we can even do it with preachers. I'll tell you that right now. Well, you know what so-and-so... I'm not going to use any names here. I could. You know what so-and-so said? Well, that's just the way it is. Well, that's not what Jesus said. Oh, but, but he's on TV. He's got to be right. They wouldn't let him on TV if he wasn't telling the truth. Now, would they? If you believe that, I've got some beachfront property here in Somerset I'd like to sell you. It means being persuaded of his truth above anything else and recognizing that nothing is truth over his truth. And if his truth says something else is a lie, it is a lie, period. Abiding and, and, and being attracted by its beauty just means that, that we, don't, we don't value anything else more than it. Its, it's value captivates our hearts. Nothing's more valuable, nothing's more attractive than your word. You know, the, the truth of his word, the grace and the beauty of his word, the power of his word, were, were basically what Scott was reading about in, in Psalm 119. And that, in that verse 9, it started out, it said, How can a young man, and as I've said before, you can put young woman there, or you can put old man there, or old woman there, how can anyone keep his or her way pure? One way. By keeping it according to your word. By your word being the truth in my life. By your word being the value of my life. By your word being the beauty in my life. And the treasure of my life. David said, with all my heart I have sought you. Don't let me wander from your commandments. Don't let me wander from your truth. Don't let me wander from your words. Your word. Your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your word. You see, those who are in the temple, who are false disciples, 
We'll hear Jesus say in just a few verses some things like he's already said, like you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood and you can't be my disciple. And they'll say again, whoa, that's too hard. <laughs> Not going to go there. But others will hear him and they will say, Lord, your word, your truth, your presence is really all that matters. And I will follow no matter what your commandments are, no matter what your requirements are, no matter where you take me, where you send me, what you lead me into. And I won't just be your disciple on Sunday morning when it's easy to raise my hand and say hallelujah. I know none of you do that, but sometimes you do. I won't just do it when the crowd is there to to lead me along. Lord, you are my life. You are my strength. You are my power. So how is abiding in the Word and truly being His disciple, how do they relate to one another? Well, the Word confirms it. If you're abiding in His Word, walking in His Word, continuing in his word, then his word is constantly confirming, this is his word to me, this is his truth to me. And it hits hard sometimes. It convicts, and it, but it always brings cleansing. You notice that? It always brings healing after it convicts. Paul said to young Timothy, he said, listen, God's word is inspired by God. It's literally breathed out by God, and it's profitable. It's profitable for, for correction, for rebuke, for, for teaching, for, for making you the person God wants you to be, that you need to be. God's Word is what does that. It's His inspired, completely infallible and trustworthy Word. And Jesus says, if you continue or if you abide in my Word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you'll know the truth this is next week you will know the truth and the truth will set you free and I don't care if you're in Somerset Kentucky or in Peru or in Germany two places I know that watch these videos I I don't, no matter where you are, that is Christ's word to you. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You will abide in my word. My word will be your meat. My word will be your strength. My word will be your power. My word will be your grace. My word will be important to you, not just on Sunday morning. Not just every now and then. So if you're here this morning, the question you need to ask yourself is, am I abiding in His Word? Am I continuing in His Word? Is His Word my greatest treasure, my greatest desire? Is it, is it my lamp and my light? Is it directing? Is it convicting? Is it working in my life? Or am I just kind of here along for the ride? Don't trouble me with all that word stuff. Maybe you're here and you're not a believer at all. And you know that. And and Jesus is saying to you, listen, I am the light of the world. If you don't want to walk in darkness, follow me. 
Trust me. That, that's why John wrote this book. You, remember, we started this way a long time ago when, when John said, listen, here's why I'm writing this book. He said, I'm writing this so that you might believe. You know, there are many other things I could have written. There's a lot of things I could have said, but, but the world couldn't contain all of them if I told you everything that happened. But I'm writing this so that you may believe that these things are true and that Jesus is Son of God. That's why John wrote this book. Pointing to the signs, the miracles, pointing to the teaching, pointing to his work, everything to say he is who he says he is. Believe him. Follow him. Trust him. In him is life. And there's no other source of life eternal except in him. Pray that the Holy Spirit will open your eyes to see that if you're not a believer. Pray that God's Spirit will, will draw you to Christ and show you His beauty and show you His truth. Let's pray. The truth is... By His grace, that we abide in His Word. It's by His strength that He holds on to us. And we'll see that later in John 10. But that does not at all diminish the fact that we are called to believe, we are commanded to believe and repent. Called to bow before him. Are you abiding in his word? Are you abiding in his word? Father, we bow before you. Lord, we, we trust you to do your work in lives right now. It's not about my call, it's about